I have quarterly goals with each one of those stakeholders. I meet with them. What are we trying to accomplish? You know, did we meet these goals? Um, right now, I don't measure my job to any particular like ROI for the team. I measure it in black and white. Did we complete the goals? Are what is the sentiment of my stakeholders? And uh, you know, are we are we continually moving forward? Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps Rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. I am really excited to introduce today's guest, a real Swiss army knife of sales and revenue operations. He's currently the head of RevOps at Tigera, Matt Amadea. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate being on. This is exciting. All right. So we want to really get right to the heart of the matter. What is something in RevOps that you've had to learn the hard way? Definitely the biggest thing in RevOps that I learned the hard way is I can't be a yes man. I have to be more of a gatekeeper. Um, you know, I think early in my career, people would come to me with requirements. People would come to me with a problem. They would come to me with a solution to the problem. And I would just be so excited that I knew how to do the solution that I would just go run off and want to implement it and want to, you know, want to just make them happy, you know, and throughout, you know, doing this long enough and seeing how that worked out. Uh, there's been many different scenarios where like, you know, I run off and I go implement the solution that someone else suggested. And then six months later, it's like, oh, well, now it turned into technical debt. Nobody's actually using it. Nobody's actually governing it. Um, and so actually being the gatekeeper, understanding the problem that you're trying to solve and actually coming to your own solution, you know, like the VP of customer success is a great guy, but he's not the subject matter expert on Salesforce and data in, you know, how to include, how to bring data into the system and properly report on it. So like you kind of have to be that subject matter expert and you have to, um, you know, you have to push, you know, you, you have to create your own solution because you're the one that's going to be governing this whole thing. If you let other people come in and kind of tell you what to do, it's going to quickly get out of hand. Um, and that's really what happened that a couple of jobs ago at a company called C-Twit, um, you know, it's like, I'm new, you know, young, bright eyed, bushy tailed, and I just want to impress everybody. And I'm the only guy, I'm the only sales ops or rev ops guy on the team. So I'm just, you know, doing everything everybody wants. And it quickly gets out of hand. And, you know, you got to like take ownership of what you're supposed to take ownership of, take ownership of the governance of the processes that you implement so that, you know, you're not just implementing something and forgetting about it. Um, and that's, you know, if you do the, if you don't follow these processes, you're going to end up with six of year months, a year down the line, a bunch of technical debt, a bunch of fields and objects that nobody's using and everybody's confused. And your VP of sales is going to log into Salesforce one day and just be like, what is going on? And that's not going to look good. <laughs> oh, that's just so true. And I think, um, for a lot of us, when as consultants, when we first look at an org, it's a bit of an archaeological dig, and we can probably dig through layers, you know, maybe like on pay, digging through the layers of <laughs> volcanic ash, and 
you know, coming across things where the uh, the person managing the system at the time didn't say no. And right. then you know, another layer of stuff where somebody didn't say no. I think that's so, so important. Um, and then you're patching on top of one thing. And now you're patching on this other thing. And then all of a sudden, it's like you have this monster. And you're like, whoa. It's like, it's funny because like I've seen some companies, you know, I was, it wasn't a company I actually worked for, I was interviewing, but they were just like, we're just going to throw Salesforce out and get a whole new org at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's that, like, actually, whoa. That's you know, really... that, so, Matt, that conversation is more common than you'd think. Um, yeah. As consultants, we're asked, you know, what's your opinion on should we do a, a relaunch? Um, I'd say probably out of 20 times, probably 19, we can actually uh, relaunch within the existing technology, within the existing uh, Salesforce instance, we can partition so that current users don't feel the pain of, of the construction going on. Uh, probably one time out of 20 for a whole bunch of reasons, including a very significant step up in the foundation, we'll actually implement a new tech stack. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And I feel like, you know, definitely having the confidence in yourself and just tell, you know, like, take push back, understand what the problem is, I think is the biggest thing. And that's definitely something I've gained just with, I don't know, experience and age, you know, you learn to be a little more confident in yourself as you, as you grow up, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Your title at Tigera is head of revenue operations. Yeah. What does that typically entail on a day-to-day basis for you? Uh, so at at Tigera, revenue operations encompasses marketing, sales, customer success, and finance operations. So we're a pretty lean team. Like we don't have a lot of, you know, we don't have a big, big operations department. I originally started out just doing sales, sales operations, and then quickly brought on customer success, quickly brought on marketing as, you know, we had, it was right in the middle of COVID. And so we actually had to let go of our demand gen guy and I ended up kind of taking over marketing and then really never letting go. And uh, and so that's kind of what it means. You know, I'm kind of the one who oversees basically our revenue engine from, you know, demand generation, generating these leads, generating these campaigns to pushing the leads to sales, how they deal with the leads, how they um, you know, how they quote, how they do their presentations to salespeople, how they do their forecasting through to then, you know, the actual uh, onboarding of the customer, the, um, you know, the case of creating the cases for the customer, creating what we call risk drivers for the customer, um, expansion opportunities, you know, all the way through to actually the billing. Uh, we recently rolled out Calico Cloud. So we have like, a, we actually are doing like a pay-as-you-go type model. We're building credit cards and stuff like that. We're um, invoicing our Calico Enterprise customers. So like just making sure we're keeping track of all that revenue and we can report on everything. I think the biggest thing is making sure all the inputs are coming in the right way so that you can share a nice, pretty output of like, here's all this data that I've ingested and here's what it means. Um, So that's kind of like a basic overview. I feel like I definitely wear quite a few hats here at Tigera. Um, There's definitely other companies who are bigger where my role will be split into four or five different roles. Um, And it's just the artifact of, you know, we're a series B startup. We're in the middle of a tough economic time. You know, we were planning on hiring more help for me, but you know, those plans quickly changed after 
you know, the last few months of just, you know, getting crushed every single day, it seems like in the market. So, you know, you got to be very, you got to be very um, nimble, I would say, working for a startup. I love the whole startup environment. Every day is different. You know, it seems like we're always just sprinting towards a target, which I'm like, I'm a high energy guy. So I need that like sprint towards a target. I can't, you know, if I worked at a big company and I spent two months on the same project, I think I just, you know, I, I need I need to be going like this, you know? Yeah. And I think <laughs> probably there's a certain kind of um, personality or um, a certain kind of competency that gets attracted to that kind of environment, right? Solving a lot of different problems. I mean, you talked about absorbing different functions yeah. um, and moving at a fast pace, figuring things out as you go. I think related to that, you know, given that you are seeing or everything from the beginning to the end as it relates to revenue and you took on the demand gen marketing piece as well, how do you measure success in all the different components of your role? What what is most important to you? You talked about reporting, of course, being one of those outputs, but but how do you measure and then also articulate success in saying, hey, I'm not just doing a lot of things. I'm really actually moving the needle on these things. Right. That's a good question. And it's definitely something I need to do a better job at because right now, to be honest, I think I met the way I mostly measure success is how the sentiment of my stakeholders, you know, I have a CMO, I have a VP, I have a C, he's actually the chief customer officer now, um, and a VP of sales. I have a VP of, I have a CFO. And so I don't know, each quarter we have i have quarterly goals with each one of those stakeholders i meet with them what are we trying to accomplish you know did we meet these goals um right now i don't measure my job to any particular like roi for the team i measure it in black and white did we complete the goals are what is the sentiment of my stakeholders and uh you know are we are we continually moving forward i I would love to like, I don't know. I need to do a better job of that, to be honest with you. I'd love to tie it to some sort of ROI to like prove that I'm showing value to the team. It's just like such a hard, I don't, it's such a hard thing to actually prove sometimes, you know, because you're like, oh, you know, the team is doing better or, you know, the team is not doing as well, but it's like, um, you know, is it me? Is there more, is there larger, uh, larger issues that I don't have control over? So it's it's tough, but ultimately, you know, when you're a revenue ops guy on a successful sales team, you know, it's much easier to, you know, show that you know you were the you were the help, you were the catalyst to that. Uh, when you're on a team that's not, you know, hitting all their goals and stuff like that, it's you know, you want to be like, well, yeah, it wasn't my fault. Um, so right now, and I would love to, you know, right now, I would love to like do this, do this more efficiently and like tie myself to the ROI. I just don't at the moment. It really parallels how I think about, um, you know, many marketing and marketing ops leaders, what they struggle with, right? Like the, the, the conversation you're having, which is like influence, right. Versus reason. I think in the marketing world, we've leaned towards saying, Hey, we should, everyone should be touching the same accounts. Everyone should be influencing the movement and, and impact of, uh, deals moving faster or closing uh, larger sizes, that sort of thing. You're you're talking about something similar, which is like as a RevOps function, because you have so many different um, hats that you're wearing, you're you're kind of solving all sorts of little problems, 
you can measure by input metric very easily. But when you have to say, is this the only thing that yeah. is the result of moving the needle? It's much harder to quantify. Right. No, and exactly. As a you know, Series B company, like you said, 140 person uh, company team right now, um, my sense is perhaps, and you can correct us if we're wrong, the team is trying to, the RevOps team is trying to keep up and support rather than saying, hey, we're going to mandate or roll out specific initiatives that we see as opportunities of how you can, you know, really accelerate the deal cycle or, or, or that sort of thing. Like, are you, are you taking a more proactive or reactive role? Is it more of a support and enablement approach versus a, here's a strategic uh, initiative that you should take on? I mean, I definitely try to take strategic and if strategic initiatives on, and I would say right now it's probably like 70, 30, where I'm reactive 70% of the time and I'm promoting my strategic initiatives 30% of the time. You know, there's a lot of uh, like, for example, I, we created a whole like risk driver and, you know, um, upsell potential records in Salesforce, kind of like similar, just this way for our CS team to start identifying risk, start identifying expansion opportunities. And we incentivize them based on, you know, how many expansion opportunities are going to create or we don't incentivize them on the risk drivers, but they're incentivized on if they renew or not. So they want to like keep track of these different risk drivers that are happening with customers. Um, and so, you know, just implementing that and ruling that out, I definitely saw a difference in ROI between the number of expansion revenues we're getting or expansion opportunities we're getting. So that's something that I feel like I can directly attribute to one of my proactive solutions of like, hey, you know, we have this high touch customer success team and we have this like, you know, loose process of, hey, you know, this person might be interested in buying more or expanding their node count and this sort of thing. Um, and just like formalizing it, operationalizing it, incentivizing it, um, and really like promoting it, you know, being like the cheerleader, hey guys, you can make an extra 500 bucks or whatever if you, you know, refer these opportunities and this kind of thing. And, you know, incentive incentives are definitely a way to motivate people. Um, money, people definitely respond to additional money. And it's it's helped. I mean, we've seen an uptick in our pipeline for expansion. Um, our our success reps are thinking about it more, you know. So um, there's definitely, I think there's definitely proactive things that I do that do affect the bottom line. And uh, I think that's an example of one of them. Yeah, and I think the percentage you mentioned just at the start of this um, this answer, right? Your 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 comment around seventy thirty. I think for a lot of RevOps leaders, they're also trying to find their optimal percentage. Right. Um, what amount should I be responsive and handle issues as they come up? What amount should I really be pushing these strategic initiatives? And I think for companies in different growth trajectories, that answer is quite different. Um, I agree. How do you determine? Uh, I think you've mentioned before in our conversations that you have uh, just a couple of folks on your team right now. So how do you determine the right balance of in-house versus outsourced work with all the different functions that you have to oversee? It's a good question. I feel like you really just have to understand what skill set you have and what you need to implement. The biggest things that we outsource are just like highly skilled uh, work that we don't like, we don't have enough Salesforce development work to fill one Salesforce developer for 40 hours a week and keep them, you know, happy and, you know, fulfilled in their career and all that stuff. 
So that's like a go-to thing where it's like, okay, we have maybe 10 or 20 hours of Salesforce work that kind of fluctuates. So, you know, we use a contractor for that um, contractor for our data. We have a data engineer who's a contractor where it's a very similar story. You know, it's like, we're a small company. We have data requirements that we need and we have a very overworked engineering team that doesn't want to give us any of their, you know, doesn't want to give us any of their cycles. So we need to, you know, we don't have enough to like hire a full person um, or hiring a full person might just, it's just not an option for the current climate we're in. So it's like, okay, we need to supplement somebody here. We need to supplement somebody there. Um, and it's, and then once, once you have that contractor and then you realize, oh, maybe, you know, this is what happened to us. We have way more than 20 hours of work. We actually have 60 hours of work. We just didn't realize it because once the ball got rolling, now all these requests started coming in because now we have this new person that can do all these things we couldn't do before. Um, and so that's when it's like, okay, we're actually using this person. Maybe we should just hire him on full time. And so that's what we've done. We have a full Salesforce developer now, but originally it wasn't that way. Um, I feel like it really just comes down to what needs do you have as a as a revenue ops organization? There's a lot of of a lot of you know, there's a lot of great sales ops generalists out there that can't write code, you know, but you you have them for their you know, for their project management experience, for their analytics experience, for their deal desk experience, all this other stuff. But, you know, you need you need somebody who can also do that. So you're kind of supplementing that person, you know, so you could have like a, a super sales ops generalist now. Um, yeah. And that's actually quite common in um, the customers we work with where sometimes they do have very deep expertise where they do have the amount of work that you're describing, right. To justify a full headcount, but they're looking for this breadth and exposure to other instances or orgs or different ways of doing things. And then they're like, okay, you know, let me, let me look externally. Um, and then there's the benefit uh, for an internal person, of course, with the deep familiarity of, the org, how it's adapted, how it's changed. Uh, David earlier mentioned kind of the layers of volcanic ash. Um, It it is understanding that historic uh, context for the org, especially in growing organizations where probably most of them don't have a policy doc or maybe not a complete data dictionary or a complete documentation on why or what we did for every single request we've ever received. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, A little bit earlier, you shared the 70-30 with the 30% being on uh, focus on strategy. Um, I'm curious within that strategic piece, does that extend to uh, corporate level cross-functional in- initiatives? Yeah, I would say most of it. I'm like the cross-functional guy here at Tigera. You know, there's everybody else is kind of on their own team. And the joke is I'm on every team. Um, I go to all the different team parties You know, I was at the finance party. I was at the customer success party and the sales party and the marketing party um, because, you know, I'm the glue between all the teams. So definitely when it comes to any cross-functional project at all, like we just did a big handoff, a big sales to customer success handoff change because before it was, you know, we were in Google Sheets, we were doing just wonky whatever. And, you know, I'm the one who has to come in and put some process to this. Um, And so that's like an example of a proactive proactive um, proactive solution that I provided because I noticed there was like a lot of, I would say, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, Friction 
between sales and customer success during the handoff process. Um, so I think it's very important. You know, you're, I pretty much consider myself the only one who's thinking about all these cross-functional team, you know, team uh, processes and the handoff between lead, uh, lead handoff of leads between marketing and sales, the handoff process between sales and customer success, the billing process between customer success and finance. Um, you know, there's a quite a few different ones. And yeah, I mean, I would say that's probably the most crucial part of my job is being, you know, that's probably the most value that I bring to Tigera is just being the one who kind of brings all the different teams together. Why don't we shift gears? Let, let's talk about uh, where you go to learn about RevOps. Uh, like, are there resources out, out in the out on the web or out in the community that you rely on to continue your learning journey? There's a lot of great networking opportunities, I would say, for RevOps people, especially because RevOps is such a new environment. Uh, I use a I the Slack channel. There's a Slack channel that I became a part of that I really like called Wizard of Ops. Uh, pretty much any time, because I'm like a, I feel like I'm kind of, especially before when I didn't have anybody, it was like I was a one-man crew, you know? So it's like you kind of get this sense of like, am I doing the right thing? Because I'm the only one with my role in this company. And like, I could easily be at this company for four or five years and kind of like go astray and not follow the common RevOps practices and that sort of thing. Um, I found this Slack group is great for getting new information. Um, and just when I have a problem, I can like post my problem. And usually there's somebody very helpful that I can meet. I develop a professional relationship. You know, I've met quite a few people just by you know, responding to somebody else's problem, what I know I have the answer to, or, you know, when I have some extra time or, um, you know, just going on and posting, you know, Hey, I have this really weird problem. I can't figure this out. Um, Hey, I'm looking for a great Salesforce developer, you know, who can work Pacific hours. Um, you know, those are, you know, just a few of the things that I've gone on recently and, um, you know, asked about, but yeah, wizard of ops is a great one. Um, I'm sure there's others, other channels just like it. This one's pretty active. There's always, you know, meetups and that sort of thing. I definitely found that it's important just to like have relationships with other RevOps people because especially, you know, in a RevOps position like mine where I'm kind of, you know, the main guy, I'm the only guy doing what I do really. Uh, it's easy to like lose track of the general best practices and not understand like new technology that's coming out or new changes that's happening with Salesforce. You know, there's Salesforce is actually coming out with some cool stuff nowadays, believe it or not. Um, and, you know, staying on top of that is important for your job. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, DevOps Center just came out uh, replacing change sets. And, you know, we were hoping that you make changes in sandboxes and push them to production that way. Yeah. There's new ways to do that uh, for yeah. folks. So now there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, Salesforce is actually coming off a lot of cool stuff recently. You talked about reporting earlier as being one of your primary outputs that you value. So, mm -hmm. and 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 you've got, I know, um, a PLG motion. You mentioned Calico Cloud earlier. Maybe you can share a little bit just what that is for context for everyone listening. Um, but with with the PLG motion, um, with all of these different functions you're overseeing, I want to know about where you get your at-a-glance view for reporting. Uh, my at-a-glance view for reporting comes from a tool called ThoughtSpot. 
We love ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot is awesome. It's a data visualization tool. Um, it's a newer tool, you know, like Microsoft Power BI, Tableau are kind of the old, old players in the game. And they are kind of, you know, trying to unseat them as, you know, the data visualization tool. They have a very effective pricing model where they only charge you based on the number of rows you bring into the system as opposed to users. So we can, we can, you know, get this data to the entire company as opposed to just like four or five people that have these licenses. Um, and, you know, we've, we found the value, especially with PLG, in really putting all your reporting into one place. Because there's a lot of great stuff in Salesforce, but then there's a lot of really great stuff on our product too. There's a lot of great stuff coming out of Pendo, especially with this PLG motion we're trying to we're you know we're doing now. Um, it's really important to understand what the what our prospects are doing in these trials we're giving them, how long they're using these trials, if they're still active in the trials. Like one of the things is. These trials are really expensive for us to run. So, like, if somebody's going to do a 14-day trial, they're not active. You know, we want to shut that down so we can save money. You know, we found that's just one of those lessons you learn. It's like after six months of giving anybody in the world a free trial, we realize that our hosting costs are just insane. So it's like, okay, we need to dial this back. <laughs> you know, and like, so there's a lot of like valuable lessons you learn i think when you try to go into plg because at first you're just so excited you want everybody in the world to view your to you know to take to try calico cloud and see if they like it and all this kind of stuff and then you realize like okay we got to be realistic um calico cloud is we calico is a cni open source cni um calico cloud is our basically uh enterprise or commercial version of that product that gives you more you know what is cni um, uh, sorry, so CNI, a CNI is a container network interface. So basically Kubernetes, it's the way that you control how your different containers are interacting with each other and the different, uh, you know, basically, it's basically like your management portal for your infrastructure, your Kubernetes. It's pretty, it's a pretty uh, technical product. And uh, I imagine most of the RevOps professionals on here aren't too, aren't too familiar with Kubernetes, but who knows? But what one thing you said that um, resonated with me uh, just now was how RevOps can support that PLG motion, right? In in the instance you mentioned, being able to have clear data on trials and the resources that trial usage resulted in allows you to control cost for the business, right? And that's not yeah. something typically RevOps uh, thinks about as much. Con how do you control cost for the business, uh, especially on the product side, but because of the visibility you have, because of the uh, reporting that you manage, um, I think you mentioned, you know, ThoughtSpot, Snowflake, you know, Pendo. Fivetran yep. um, is our together. ETL. Yeah, Fivetran for the, your ETL. Um, those are things that allows RevOps to immediately actually make impact on revenue. It's like, are we right. hemorrhaging in this way? Is PLG right. working in this way? Or do we need to and make some adjustments? That was actually something that I brought up too. And I got tons of green stars for that because everyone was like, oh my gosh, you're right. You know what I mean? Like we are spending money like crazy and we need to come up with an a plan to fix this, you know? And so like, that was like, you know, hey, good job, Matt. So I was like, <laughs> exactly. Let's look ahead. When you're in a, you know, a startup environment, when your company's growing really quickly, you said, you know, that's all of your background, um, being in these really dynamic environments. What is exciting you about the future of RevOps, especially in kind of the startup environment? 
I think what's exciting me is the technology is actually getting to a place where these systems have the ability to like talk to each other and you have the ability to actually make some pretty cool stuff. You know what I mean? I feel like before the before integrating systems was so difficult. And now like with these new tools coming, there's new tools coming out like PLG automation. There's all these emerging companies. Like we use a company called Bounty um, and they make integrating your systems, integrating Pendo with Salesforce, integrating your product with Salesforce and like, you know, actually gathering this data and analyzing it a lot easier. And I really feel like, you know, that's going to be a big, a big, uh, that's going to be a big wave of the future is this whole PLG automation, um, the technology between the technology that is helping these systems become more in sync is becoming a lot better. Um, and I think we're just going to eventually have, you know, a lot better analytics, a lot better insight into everything. Um, and these, you know, these little nuggets like, oh, we're spending all this money on hosting costs are going to just reveal themselves a lot easier, I think. Yeah, I really love hearing how um, you know we're moving in a direction where PLG is more integrated in businesses. We're definitely seeing it across uh, a lot of the companies that we work with, especially in their um, attempt to reduce customer acquisition. If you are able to also control the cost on the product hosting side, um, which is native to every single SaaS company's calculus... Yeah. And that becomes a very, very lucrative way to not only acquire, but also keep customers on the platform. Right. I agree 100%. Yeah. So, Matt, let's shift gears. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about you. Okay. Uh, you graduated from Sonoma State University. Uh, you studied economics. Um, you're based in the Bay Area in San Francisco, I believe. I am. Yep. Very cool. Uh, you, uh, prior to joining Tigera, you were at Demandbase, uh, which is uh, a couple times larger. It's about a thousand people now, I think. Yeah. Um, you were a senior manager of sales ops there. Um, uh, what, what we find so interesting with RevOps in particular is everyone's origin story. Like how did you go from economics into RevOps? What was that, that leap that you made? Tell That's us a good, about that journey. good question. So I have uh, an old, like, I have an older brother who is the CRO of a company called Sauce Labs. And so he's always been very um, influential to my decision. He worked in tech and I just knew I had to get into tech, you know, and I knew that that was the, you know, that's going to be the future. These are all the people who are making all the cool things. This is where you can make money. Um, and so I just basically did anything I could to break into tech and that required me getting into sales. Uh, it was an SDR. I was cold calling people. It seemed like, you know, back in 2011 or 2012, the only one of the only ways to kind of break in, you know. Um, and so I was an SDR. I eventually, you know, upgraded to be a full cycle sales rep and help our help our um, help our customers. And I worked for a company called Job Science, which was an applicant tracking system built on Salesforce. And so by selling the product and by helping you know, other customers with the product, I naturally just gained all this insight of how to be an ops person because I was essentially being like a mini ops person for all these staffing companies that were that were uh, you know, implementing Salesforce on, you know, as like an applicant tracking system. 
And so I saw the need for it. And it was like, at that time, it was like sales operations was kind of a new new title. A lot of like these small tech companies didn't even have an idea of sales operations. It was just like the VP of sales and maybe like a business ops person getting together and, you know, doing some stuff. And so I like saw all this, you know, all this hype around, you know, um, sales operations. I studied it. I watched a couple web podcasts like this. Um, and I pitched the idea to the CEO and, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, we could be doing this. We need somebody that manages, you know, we need somebody that manages this whole process. And right now it's just, you know, our VP of sales, this guy, Rich, and he's, you know, he's busy doing other things. You know what I mean? He's busy coaching his, you know, you want him coaching his, his, um, sales reps and not, you know, spending time worrying about what the quota is and worrying about how we're going to do territories and all this stuff. Um, so that's kind of how I broke into it. And then once I got, got, once I was the sales ops at, at, uh, at job science, I, you know, kind of have never looked back and sales ops kind of morphed into rev ops along the way. So, um, if you could go back and give yourself advice on day one of your current role, what would it be? Um, it would be my current role. It would be probably slow down and, you know, don't, you know, use the, be more, just be more confident in yourself. I, I mean, I, I would say like the, the biggest thing I learned, I probably, you know, learned in the, you, you know, when I was talking about how, um, you know, I need to be more of like a, a gatekeeper. I feel like that's something that I could have definitely would have definitely benefited me my first year at Tigera, because that's kind of a lot of like the feedback I got was like, you know, Hey, you're, you know, you kind of just go out and do anything. Um, and, uh, so like, I guess, having the uh, having the maturity level i have now would have benefited me a lot when i first started working at tigera but you know it's been almost three years now so i feel like i've grown a lot i've changed a lot another thing i would say is uh i recently learned this about two years ago and it really changed my perspective on things multitasking is fake it doesn't exist people cannot actually multitask it's called context switching and it's super inefficient and I learned that and I started reading all about context switching and all this stuff. And I realized, wow, I need to focus because I am constantly doing four different things at one time. Somebody pings me. I want to get to it right away. I'm constantly context switching. And so like setting time for yourself to focus and actually get stuff done. It's like, uh, it's done wonders for me because I didn't realize how inefficient I was being by like thinking I'm being more efficient. You know what I mean? And that's an inherent challenge, ironically, in RevOps because we are seeing so many functions. You are right. actually switching between a marketing challenge to a CS challenge to a finance ops challenge. Um, All on the same day. Yeah, right. It requires a very certain kind of um, capability to do that. So you um, really have to, you, you really have to like, think about that and like focus on how you focus because if you don't you're gonna be context switching all day and you're gonna it was so many times i would get to the end of my day at demand base it'd be 5 30 and i'd been at the office for the last nine hours and i thought to myself what did i do today <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> so i think one of our last questions uh last couple questions here 
you know, when, when you mentioned the intensity of the day, uh, you've, you've done so many things. How do you decompress from that? What are some of the things you do to unwind? Um, I definitely have a few hobbies. One of the random hobbies that I do, and I don't know if it's unwind, but take my mind off work. I actually am a varsity basketball and football official for high schools around here in Marin and Sonoma County. Um, and I really, I mean, maybe I'm just like a high, high anxiety type of guy, but I really enjoy, you know, getting out on the basketball court or the football field and, you know, feeling a part of the game, feeling a part of the community. You know, it's exciting, especially when it's a close game. Like I had a game the other day, um, you know, a kid hit a three at the very end of the game to win the game. Everybody's excited running around, you know, it's a varsity game. The kids are storming the court. Um, that's definitely something that gets my mind off work. I can focus on this one basketball game I'm doing and really just get into the game. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I feel like it's a real stress reliever, even right. though coaches are yelling at me. <laughs> so just you know, going to a lot of uh, varsity sports uh, here in New England, I think uh, the uh, officials get abused uh, at times. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if everyone would agree and find that stress relieving, but uh, I don't think everyone would agree. But my first refuse suck chant was one of the proudest moments. I've had. Oh, there you go. <laughs> like a badge of honor. So, so um, uh, clearly in a role like this and given your background, you know a lot of people in RevOps. Is there anyone else that you think we should have here on the podcast? Uh, one of my mentors, the guy who was uh, was my boss at Demand Base, Michael Heilman. He's taught me more than anybody I know. And uh, I mean, he just has a lot more experience than me running a full you know, a full RevOps department that is at a large company. Um, and he's a really smart, insightful guy. And he's been there long enough that he has the confidence to really like tell people his true opinion. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's really important for a revenue ops person. He has, he's the guy that pushes back. And, you know, it's like, you really, you know, pushes back on quota, pushes back. In ways I wish I could. You know, I wish I had the confidence he does. Um, so yeah, definitely him. He's the man. Yeah, great. Thank you. And we'll we'll look to include Mike's uh, information in the show notes. So thank you. Awesome. Great. Before we go, I know we're having this conversation towards the very end of the year here. Um, if people want to connect, if people are looking for um, more information about Tigera, where can they find you and where can they find more about your company? They can find LinkedIn is definitely the place I'm responsive the most. I have a Twitter, but I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I don't really use Twitter that much. Um, I'm more of a LinkedIn guy. Um, sorry, Elon. So, sorry, Elon. Yeah. Uh, you know, now that you got to pay eight bucks. Ugh. Um, and uh, so yeah, LinkedIn um, and yeah, Tigera.io. If you guys, if you have a, uh, you know, your DevOps team is interested in, you know, Kubernetes and containers, um, you know, definitely Calico is the biggest, uh, the most widely adopted open source CNI. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of great features for Calico Cloud and Calico Enterprise. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today on the RevOps Rockstars podcast. Uh, it's really been a pleasure to hear about your many experiences and, you know, even things like uh, working on the, the PLG uh, implementation uh, specifically because so many of uh, the companies we work with in SaaS 
where it's applicable are also, uh, you know, thinking through that and trying to figure out how, how do they need to have the systems data and reporting to support that. So it's always good to hear experiences like yours. Uh, we really appreciate having you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Wonderful. And we'd love to thank everyone who's listened uh, to this episode and hopefully check out many of our other ones. If you're finding interesting nuggets from here, please share the podcast and of course, follow on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you, Matt, for joining us today. Thank you. I hope I said something of value. And this, thank you, Matt. This has been another wonderful episode of RevOps Rockstars. Uh, Excited to bring more guests in the new year uh, to share with everyone. and, And we'll see everyone next time. Stay classy, rock stars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. Visit OptFocus.com to learn more about how OptFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.